Good evening, highly suspicious roommates, and welcome to Slow Motion Triple Feature, a podcast in which three friends watch three movies over the course of three weeks. Each month, a different friend will select a different triple feature for their friends to enjoy and discuss. Slow Motion Triple Feature is one of the many fine podcasts brought to you by the American Friend Institute. I'm your host, Mike Keller, and I'm joined today by my good friends, Kit and Andrew. Tonight, we are continuing our Return of Shocktober Triple Feature with Kit's selection, 1944's the Lodger, starring Laird Krieger, Merle Oberon, and George Sanders, and directed by John Brom. That cast sounds like a who's who of uh, <laughs> retirement home uh, 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 denizens. It's just like yeah. Laird my, and Merle. <laughs> my parents thought about naming, I think, thought about naming me or Sydney Merle, and then one of us was going to be like Merle after Merle Oberon, and one was going to be Greer after Greer Garson, I think. Who's Greer Garson? Another actress from this time period. I will okay. say that pretty. Sydney looks more like a Merle than you do. Yeah, I agree <laughs> with that. Mm-hmm. Especially now that she's got her battle scar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a picture um, of Sydney where she looks conservatively 75 years old. <laughs> I think I've seen that picture. Is it? Mm-hmm. She's kind of, yeah. She you just know, has like, she's got, I don't know what happened, but like she sent me a video to like work on for her. And she, it just, when I was in my editor, it like, it, it was paused on a specific frame where the lighting was hitting her just right. And she just had like <laughs> chops, like, you know, like what are those called? Mutton chops. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and her hair just looked old and scraggly and, uh, <laughs> She's like trying to smile, but she looks miserable, like she's uh, <laughs> suffering from arthritis or something. <laughs> well, it's like that picture of Brandon in the movie theater. In the movie theater, yeah. best yeah, photo ever. Terminally ill. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, anyhow, um, I mean, fortunately, nobody listens to this podcast, or anybody that does knows exactly who we're talking about. So you know, like, we've had six hundred and seven yeah. downloads, and that's more. Really? Yeah. So that's several downloads per episode. Yeah, more than 10 per episode. You can't say that nobody listens to this. True. It's true. I think everyone who listens to us like is my friend, so. Yeah. You, yeah, you I haven't guys really, aren't really pulling your way. Yeah, I don't I don't really tell people I just, about this. <laughs> I can't remember if I've said anything that I wouldn't want everybody to know, so. Just the joy of being me. Oh, by the way, speaking of names, Merle Oberon, uh mm-hmm. apparently her actual name is her actual last name is O'Brien, but they mm. changed it to Oberon, uh, I guess, for some sort of, yeah, for marquee reasons, or I don't know, maybe to make it more distinctive. Maybe because it's, uh, did people hate Irish people in 1944? Yeah, people have always hated Irish people. Yeah, but not now. Now it's like, kiss me, I'm Irish. But there's like, Maureen O'Hara did all right for herself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they would have done it. Um, And just to be clear, like, as a podcast, we do not like the Irish. Nope. Is that... Yeah, okay. Never have, never uh, will. Yeah, okay. I just wanna I am also we like one third Irish, but I yeah, hate that. I'm... That's where all my worst qualities come from, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm uh I think I'm at least half, but I don't know. I'm French, I'm Irish. <laughs> Who can I'm keep track things. these days? Yeah, I'm all American, that's what I know. Um <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so had we uh seen the film before? Or I guess Kit actually. Introduce the film for us. Uh, what made you pick this and had you seen it before? Um, I had not seen it before. I picked it because I really liked last year when we watched the movie I can never remember the name of. 
what's it called? Uh, the Uninvited. The Uninvited. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that. Anyway, that was really fun how it was like, you know, an old movie, but gave you a nice, like, eerie, spooky feeling. It was, like, yeah. surprisingly spooky. And I wanted another movie with that feeling. And so I started looking at movies from the 40s that are scary, but, like, not really horror movies necessarily not Mm -hmm. like monster or you know just kind of like unsettling and a lot of the lists i looked at at least had this on it and many of them had it at the top of the list um and so i was like okay and i you know um cast looks good i looked at some screenshots and i was like this looks cool um so yeah that's why i picked it um, but I'd never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't seen this one either. And then Andrew, had you seen the film? Nope. I had not seen it. I had not heard of it. Um, nope. Cool. Yeah. I had heard of the Hitchcock one, obviously, which apparently is based mm-hmm. on the same novel yeah. that this yes. pulls from. Um, and I've seen that a couple times, but honestly, I don't really remember anything about the lo- the Hitchcock one. Um, but uh, it yeah, seems it's the first time I'd seen this. It seems like this is the preferred version. Not yeah, the, well, and the, it's it's not that the Hitchcock you know, one is bad, but I guess like the Hitchcock one, like it just had a lower budget. This one had like was just much more lavish. Right. And, and um, it's a silent movie. The Hitchcock one is. Oh, so is it? Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's but, just, you know, and they were they don't even refer to the killer as uh, Jack the Ripper in that movie. Like it takes place in the 20s. Hmm. Okay. And um, <clears throat> and he's he's referred to as the Avenger. See, and that's the thing. Like, I was like, I know I've seen The Lodger, but I don't remember that being about Jack the Ripper at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that explains that. That's why I guess I wouldn't have made that connection. Um, I think it's been remade you... since also, and it's not. It's like set. It's not about Jack the Ripper. Yes. The I actually, while I was watching this, actually. Uh, pause for station identification. <laughs> I want to make sure I got my years right. There's oh. like a Shane West one. I was wrong. Excuse me. I was going to say, while I was watching this, I thought of another Hitchcock film called Shadow of a Doubt, um, mm-hmm. which this, like, to me is like a way, way, way better version of this. Um, in some ways. It's different. Yes. But, um, but, uh, but apparently that came out the year before this. So hmm. I don't know. Anyways. But yeah, it looks like it says here it's been there was the Hitchcock one. Uh, there was one in 1932. Another one in 53. And then this one's 44. And then there was uh, one in 2009. 2009. Which mm-hmm. I don't remember that coming out at all. That's the one. Oh, that's the Shane West one. Shane West, like Alfred Molina's in it. Oof. Okay. So, I, are they about are they all and they're all about the same thing? I think they're all based on the same book. Okay, but not necessarily Jack the Ripper. So the Jack so Jack the Ripper is it's he's only part of the 44 version. We oh, think. Yeah, that's a good question. Is that true? Okay. I don't know about 32 or 53. All right. Well, the 32 is Hitchcock, right? No, 27 that's is holy yeah, that's 27. <laughs> Have you guys There's noticed a lot of them. Have you guys noticed that they used to remake movies as like as quickly as they reboot movies now yeah i think it's weird now though because 
back then you couldn't download slash buy slash stream like the old version of the movie like the one that they made 10 years ago you, you know, could now you, yeah now you no I, I access to that whereas back then it was like well you know the hitchcock one's been out of circulation for a while we might as well make a new one plus it used to cost like i don't know thirty thousand dollars to make a movie <laughs> as opposed to like 200 million dollars but uh but they know what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay well i've got some stuff to say <sighs> okay well let's hear it uh first of all how about that opening shot folks yeah, that was cool. Uh, yeah, it was good, very nice. Uh, good I was, atmosphere in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, I I think there's some some stuff that isn't. I I think that the opening is so compelling. Uh, mm-hmm. like there's only like a couple of cuts from the point that the camera opens to the point that uh the the first murder takes place. Um, but it's just so yeah, it's just oozing like atmosphere and a lot of it's just like wet streets and fog machine and I, stuff but it works really the well. The fucking wet street is so good. Mm-hmm. The streets are wetter. Like it's <laughs> the wettest streets. They all, and it makes I think it makes a huge difference. Like I, the first my first note is from that shot of like with her skirts like dragging through like pretty deep puddles of water mm-hmm. and it makes it just feel so much like more scummy and Londony, <laughs> like it's very Londony, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. even just like the cops, like there was, there's one where uh, another shot where I think it might be later in the movie, where there's cops and they're walking through an alleyway and one of them steps in a puddle and he's like, he's like three or four inches in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's usually when you see like wet streets on a back lot. It's not that Mm-mm. wet. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's and like, it's interesting because it's like the motif of water is like very important absolutely um and there's that there's the like the second shot or whatever of like the lady's hand dragging in the gutter i'm like that's fucking spooky shit (laughs) it is it's it's really it's really eerie um yeah i found it genuinely unnerving um i will i feel like we should just get to well here i want to just get to like what my biggest issue with the movie is and it's not necessarily like points deducted because i think it's just like different time and place but that man was the most obvious murderer i've ever seen now here's the thing that's fine like you can do that in a movie but there's something about it that's almost like cartoonish like it kind of made me think of um like what we do in the shadows or something right yeah where where like there's a scene in that movie i think where they like bring some guy to like hang out and it's just like bro these are so obviously vampires it's just not it's insane um yeah so it's uh yeah there was just there was just there it's it felt so much like a kind of in the way the the uninvited did but just feels like a genre figuring itself out does that make any sense to you no i had almost the exact same thoughts um like I actually thought about doing a bit for the podcast where I was like, you know, hey guys, sorry, my roommate's gonna be making some noise. We had to, we got a renter just try to pay the mortgage, and and then like mm-hmm. you know something where it's just like, well, what was that, Joe? And he'd be like, he's like, I I prefer to take the back door. <laughs> oh, that that's cool, Joe. You know. Uh, <laughs> so it I just want to say people said that at the time. 
also. Okay, I mean, well, they, that's this not was great, a then. yeah, I saw that. This was a well-received film, but one of the reviews said, "If the lodger was designed to to chill the spine, then something is wrong with the picture. But if it was intended as a sly travesty on the melodramatic technique of ponderously piling suspicion upon suspicion, then the lodger is eminently successful." So, at the time, I think it was considered a bit silly, how, right. at least by some. So where do we land? Which what what do you think it was? If if it was one of those, <laughs> like was it having a laugh or was it a uh, was well, it? Uh... Oh no, I don't think it no, was I having think, a I laugh. Think, I will okay. say I will say that there was um, the the movie ended in the right way, right? Like it mm-hmm. it if I think if that's it had, an understatement. <laughs> well, I think if it had if it had established he was if it had firmly established that. He's the he's Jack the Ripper. We know one hundred percent. I think that would have been like lame because it's like, well, yeah, I knew that all along. I think if it had been any more vague, I don't know, it might not have worked. Like, I think if they would have introduced something at the end that was like, I don't know, another murder or something like that, I think that would have been infuriating. Um, but I think the fact that he just jumps out a window and we don't know really what happened to him. Uh I think that kind of makes it work. It's still very silly all the way through, but like I feel like the payoff is is there. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not okay. Two things. One, I think if it was him, I am glad is a fantastic end to a movie. It just doesn't make any fucking sense for this movie because even if he wasn't Jack the Ripper, you've seen him. You've seen right. this guy attempt to murder <laughs> multiple ladies in front of a bunch of witnesses. Yeah. So like. It, that would be a more unsettling, uh, that would be a great final line if, if, if there's any thought of like, well, maybe he's just like a misunderstood weirdo, you know, <laughs> but he's not. He had his hands around Merle Oberon's throat for like several minutes. Right. Um, however, I don't agree that this movie is silly all the way through. I think it's fucking great at the beginning. And then fucking great at the end when he, the end, when he, when those police are, the first shots of the police advancing on him, I was like, this is great. Then the music goes away and you just hear him breathing. And then he jumps out the window. That's That's one of the coolest like stunt shots Mm -hmm. I've ever seen. Certainly in a movie this old, that stands out to me as like one of the best. I will say that 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 is a shot that I have seen uh, built upon in in like action for 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 forever. Like this shot where somebody jumps out a window and a camera follows them. That's yeah. like it's in every single action movie now. But I've never been more shocked by it. I watched I went back and watched it several times because I mean, truly like 10 times because I was like, they really did that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in this movie like we're just really because lee came in and he's like that's a trick and i'm like how could it be like that would be that would have been harder than just i guess having a guy really jump out the window into water but it's like it's extraordinary yeah it's I think, so cool i think that so much of this movie looks so stunning that that I think when it doesn't look stunning, when it's yes, it sticks out, and it makes it like yeah. There's t- 
There's a lot of scenes where they're like, it's like the other people who live in the house, the aunt and uncle and the niece, mm -hmm. where they're just like talking and figuring, like figuring. It just looks like a play. It looks like a play, yeah. exactly. And it's like, yeah, it's so, I don't know. It's so, it feels, it feels like that was probably the most boring thing to shoot. And it, it's just like, put it somewhere else, you know, put it in another setting. Well, or there make just, that it, setting more compelling because like the right after there's a scene of them talking and it just looks kind of like I could be watching any movie from the, yep. you know, mi any mid-century movie set in this time, like the way the house looks, it just looks like everything. And then they go up to his room and where and it's all shadowy. When she brings in like the, the tea to get the yeah, fingerprints. It's fucking it's gorgeous. Absolutely. And like the way that the light makes like another kind of like a skew frame uh -huh. within the film, like the film. For it's I and had, he's shrouded in shadow the whole time. Yeah. The, the lighting was I, I had a lot of trouble at various points, like figuring out where the lights were, which is a lot of fun because I feel like that's mm -hmm. not totally comp. You can usually look at a scene if you actually just sit there for a minute and you can figure out where all the lights coming from. But yeah, it was. um I did, yeah. That was probably my favorite shot in the whole movie. Honestly, was that where she it was brings really him cool. the tea? Yeah, it's awesome. And of course, then she goes into the next room, like she closes the door, and then the, she's immediately like talking to yeah. the cop about dusting for fingerprints. Like, guys, he's he's still in that room well, being yeah. a weirdo. They, they also, she goes up. They're t they're talking at that. The reason she's doing that is because they're trying to prove that he's Jack the Ripper. And it's like, why isn't she scared to go in a room? He he has just they know that he ha they walked in on him maybe about to kill Merle Oberon in her room in that house. He has killed old ladies. Mm -hmm. It's not as if he only kills like young, beautiful women. And he doesn't seem to care that other people are in the house at the same time. So like, she's just like, I'll take him a glass. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, there, what there, the fuck? There is something that's a little too casual just about the way they talk about this dude potentially being Jack the Ripper. Um, yeah. I'd well, and Merle Oberon, especially in that, especially in the scene in her room, when he's like, t like towering, like leaning into her face, spewing his weird, you yeah. know, incel shit, <laughs> and she's like, not, she's just like taking him completely <laughs> out, like, like, he, like this is a normal conversation. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Her, her, her uncle comes into the room and she's just like, we were just having the most interesting conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like, girl, that's, well, they made even, her too stupid. <laughs> yeah. Even the uncle, like, uh, I can't remember, fairly early in the movie, like, he's very committed to, uh, I don't know, innocent until proven guilty. He's like, yeah, no, there's lots of people in the town that have black bags. It makes sense for him to be burning his in the fire right now. Anybody would because you don't want to be suspected. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, and especially because now I love Laird Krieger and I have some backstory about him, okay. but he I think he's great in this movie. I, I, I like how he does the performance. It just I think they're making two different movies. There is a version yeah. of this movie where like he's a charming guy. <laughs> You know, yeah. like, and that's why, or he's really hot or something. Now, I think Laird Krager is very hot. And also he, <laughs> he tr tried to lose. So, okay, I'll get into the backstory. So this movie came out the year he died. Oh, he was 31 years old. Oh, wait, wow. what? 
Yes. The man who played Jack the Ripper in this movie was yes. younger than I am. Yes. The dude looked older than my dad. He so he died. He he thought that for this role it was important for Jack the Ripper for well, okay, he's not Jack whatever. Um Slade, is that his name? Uh-huh. To yeah. ha- be have like a romantic potential. So he tried Laird I mean, he's a huge dude. Yeah. Um I also love how you can kind of believe that he, that he's still standing when the, after he's been shot multiple times because he just seems like that's what I was you know, thinking. trying to kill a kill a bear or something like <laughs> mm-hmm. he's just huge. Um, but he tried to lose weight for this role and he used amphetamines and then he ended up having a heart attack oh, Jesus. Oh, um, and dying at the age of 31. Well, that's sad. Um, also, I feel like I can sniff like gay tragedy from a mile off because there's um, this other uh, detail from his Wikipedia page. Uh, in 1943, David Bacon, a young actor with whom Krieger had been having an affair, was knifed to death, according to accounts in the press, Aww. which also published pictures of Krieger calling him such a good friend of the victim. Yeah. Uh, this prompted studio executive Daryl F. Zanuck to arrange for an article in Silver Screen to link Krieger romantically with Dorothy McGuire and to report that, despite his weight, the actor was considered sexy by many women. Aww. Dorothy McGuire is pretty good. Also, he is sexy. He was he was in like pirate movies and stuff, and like he's he's a really gorgeous, like striking guy. And he was he had only had a film career for like five years when he died, and all the movies and all of his performances are like very highly regarded. And yeah. he was widely considered like like a truly great actor Do you of his so- generation. I, ahead, I, well, I just had a question. If it's kind of a side question, um, and if you knew or had ideas but i wonder if at that time like because you mentioned the story that they planted to make him seem heterosexual Mm -hmm. um do you think that people like within the entertainment industry like do you think they knew like like it was more open about like who was gay and who wasn't and do you think they cared less than like the general public is that a is that is there anything known about that I think it could go both ways. Okay. I think, yes, I mean, because they're your colleagues and you're in the entertainment industry. So, like, you know, I'm going to guess that his friends knew if he was, like, living with a guy or, like... <clears throat> but still, people went to, like, great lengths at the same time yeah. to hide it. Um, and obviously, studios didn't want it getting out. And it's, yeah, pretty common to, like, hire a girlfriend or whatever. For... I just wonder if they're... I know studios don't want it getting out. I just wonder... I guess it's all about the bottom line. So there's no... Well, you're kind of asking, was it more for marketing them to the broader public who they viewed as not being tolerant of it? Or was I it think more yes. for within the industry? I think, I think yes, yes. But then I think also, like, it's hard to distinguish between, like this studio executive like thinks you won't have a career if you're gay. And also like, yeah, they would prefer you weren't gay, <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah. don't they don't want to hear about it or know about it. I don't want to give too much credit um, to a studio executive, but I do. <laughs> I was just wondering if maybe there was like some uh, level of just like, well, we all know each other. <clears> Let's, you know, they're all working with the same studio. It's like, right. They're right. all contracted to the same. Pl- so it's like, is there any sort of like, I would just like basically from what I know of show business, for the last 200 right. years, I would have to imagine. I mean, I, and I'm sure there were people who were like very fiercely opposed to that sort of thing or whatever. Sure. But uh, I would think that, yeah, just because, I mean, I, I would at least be comfortable saying that for theater, that that is right. the case. That And I don't even know if in theater they would have bothered to get you a 
what do they call it? What uh, a, a beard. beard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, but I, I don't know enough to say. Well, That's just speculation. Like there, there were lots of rumors about um, George Sanders as well, although. Mm. Because he dated both Gabor sisters, which is about the gayest thing I can imagine. Um, and they were both like known as, well, he was married, possibly married to both of them. They were both known as beards, but he's also known as like a pussy hound um, and nice. one of the most unpleasant people <laughs> who really? ever lived. Have you ever read his suicide note? What? <laughs> no, I didn't know he committed suicide. <laughs> yeah, he committed okay. suicide in 1972. He was 65. I think he'd been like diagnosed with a terminal illness or something. Okay. Um, yeah, he was getting, he had dementia and uh but he wrote Dear World, I'm leaving because I am bored. I feel I have lived long enough. I'm leaving you with your worries in this sweet cesspool. Good luck. That's a really, <laughs> really good suicide note. That's yeah. Yeah. I think he was just like a really he I can't I think he was cool. He was like friends with David Niven, who is definitely cool. Um and he was like very funny and wry, but I but I can also see how he was like a huge bitch <laughs> um, and how people would not like him. Um, but yeah, he's very fun. He, his character in this is kind of boring, but just like listening to his voice is so he's the, fun. He's the old dude. No, he he's the, the he's the hot detective. Oh, the detective. Oh yeah. I like that yeah. guy a lot. He was great. I did think when they introduced that character and he had like kind of a, a scruffy sidekick, I was like, is this going to be like a, are they introducing like a, um, a Sherlock and Watson stand-in. Yeah. That's all I got for that. What was his um, character's you know, name in Jungle Book? Shere Khan. Shere yeah. Khan, that's right, yeah. Oh, that he played Shere Khan? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, he, and he's in All About Eve. He, all About Eve is probably his, like, most famous thing. The, Quint, the Queen Shere Latifah Khan. movie? That's crazy. <laughs> <sighs> that's, like, so painful. <laughs> uh, you just got owned. Um, I think, but why I brought up all this Laird Krieger stuff is I think there's like two movies going on here. Okay, and that like Laird, Laird Krieger is like, he's not playing this as if there's supposed to be any mystery around whether this is like a weird fucked up murder boy, I think. He's playing it as like, this is like a psychological profile of the kind of guy who would be a Jack the Ripper. And then, the but the rest of the movie is treating it like there's some mystery. And like, I kind of wonder if it was really written to be, I don't know what the novel's like or any of the other movies, um, but I kind of wonder if it was written to be like, oh, like he's a real, like, he's kind of a sexy, mysterious dude because definitely like Merle Oberon seems to start to like develop kind of yeah an attraction to him. Not again, not that like I think Laird Krager as a hum as a guy is attractive, but he's playing such like an obvious fucking freak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that it's like it's just incongruous. Um, but I think his performance is like along with some of the, the like cinematography and like this the way it's shot in certain times. That's my favorite part of the movie. I love how once he's like on the run he looks like a completely different guy like he his he his expression and just every his eyes like everything just like changes com- completely you, at that point you know what i think and makes I really this like mo- what this what makes this movie work a little bit better is if you 
is if you have a better sense of like a character who's like barely keeping it under wraps. Yes. You know, like I think I think it's it's the movie spends way too much time acting as if it's suspicious of him. Right. And I also think it'd be interesting if we got a better sense of like the other characters, you know, trying not to succumb to like um paranoia or, or exactly. hysteria but it's it it doesn't commit to either of those things so you it, just have yeah. a dude who's the weirdest motherfucker you've ever seen <laughs> and then a bunch of other people just like well is he a killer who knows it would be really interesting if the movie was kind of about the inability of these other characters to reckon with the fact that they're like living with like that that would be a as much as it puts them in danger to not just be like, this guy needs to fucking go. <laughs> and like, this is Jack the Ripper. I can, it would be an interesting exploration of like, you know, like, let's say I realized Lee was a serial killer and it's like, okay, the logical thing for me to do would be to get the fuck out of there immediately you, and get away from him. Too. You don't, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you don't, you don't already suspect that. <laughs> no, but what might be the more sort of, emotional human response would be like you, you know what i'm not even gonna yes nope. i read <laughs> like a story, putting that aside not gonna do that i read a story yesterday in some internet thread and it was basically like a woman it's like the scariest thing read that it. ever happened to her was that somebody came up to her while she was loading groceries into her truck and like demanded she give them a ride somewhere and it was like a dude and she said no and then he just got in her car and she didn't know what to do, which is insane, but she got <laughs> in the car and was like right. driving and like drove him to where he wanted to go. And the whole time he was just like, boy, your husband's a lucky, a lucky man. And, and your lips are beautiful. It's just shit like that. Um, mm -hmm. But that's like, it's an insane thing. And it's, but I can kind of imagine where it's like, I even though if I if I were to, you know, freak out and and draw attention and stuff, that would that would save me from this, but it's like that initial moment of it of discomfort, of confrontation is like mm -hmm. too much for so many yeah. people to get over. To me that's why like Nathan for you is good and like Borat is bad because like Borat thinks that it's like revealing what people actually believe by putting them in like what's clearly yeah. <laughs> the most uncomfortable situation they've been in in their lives. Whereas like I think Nathan for you is about how far we'll go without just being like, no, this is crazy. <laughs> like you, actually, can't, you can't stop doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's a very good comparison. I hadn't really thought about that. Before. That is very good. Um, I get, but yes, but yeah, with relation to the movie, uh, first of all, I got to say that story you're talking about, Andrew, is crazy. Yeah, I uh, know. I know. I think I think I think we can all safely say that none of us would ever do anything like that. But I yeah. I don't know. But you can see you can see it, right? It's I not I'm see, a girl. So <laughs> I could see somebody like like guilting me into giving them a ride potentially. But I can't see me being like, nah. And then they get in my car and I'm like, well, he's in the car. I might as well. <laughs> <laughs> they. I remember when I did self-defense class in uh, college for like my PE credit. Like one of the like the hardest assignment we had to do was tell someone no without giving them an explanation. Yeah. Like I just had to say and I didn't do it. <laughs> here's here's I, like <laughs> here's here's what I think it is. Maybe. I think it might be that 
people have a hard like it, it is it is kind of a hard leap to make that there is a dangerous person sitting right in right. front of me. Yes. I mean, it's totally illogical to get in the car with the person, but I I kind of get that where it's just like, no, that's fine. It's it's uh, this yeah. th- there's there couldn't possibly be a serial killer standing right next to me. Right. Yeah. That's what I think would be like the more interesting way to play this movie yes. is like that instead of Merle Oberon just like <laughs> truly seeming to believe there's nothing weird about him. I will if we could see her crying could convince herself. I yeah. will I will say that it I was I was like because I was so kind of baffled by what the movie was trying to tell tell me <clears throat> I felt like I, I I could have seen them just like introducing some sort of explanation at, or like a, a headline that says, you know, j- you know some some way of undoing our suspicion up yeah. until the point that he's like clenching the fire poker. I think it's because right. it was played so absurdly that it was like, well, okay, they're going to, they're going to, which I think would have been a mistake because they've already fucked up. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, all that to say, like, I don't think, I definitely don't think he did anything wrong. Um, and it is, it is, it is definitely the most fun thing to watch in the movie is that performance. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. though it doesn't fit the movie, it's like yeah. I'd, I'd rather them fix the movie than fix his performance. I, I also think his performance. There's something like German expressionist about it. Oh yeah, and that really goes with like the other best parts of the movie, which are people reacting in fear. Like when that lady is like sitting in her room, and she hears the creak, and she just starts to like fucking flip out and she and can't shake. scream is that what you're talking about i thought yeah i thought that, that was, was great so cool it and was awesome scary. And, and then the camera <laughs> the camera's moving towards her and it's but it's like it's like sh- it's like rotating mm-hmm. on its horizontal axis yeah. which i thought was really well, cool and that scene even just a little bit earlier in that scene uh to me i think what actually scared me the most or creeped me out the most uh she goes into her her apartment and the lights are all off, but she steps inside and she kind of gets ready to light the match, but it's like dark and there's just like enough space behind her. That's all dark. And and like, you know, you know, you're watching a serial killer movie Um, that like, that was like one of the only, you know, and I've seen like so many horror movies, like, right. I don't get that tense typically, but that was like one of the only moments in the movie where I was like, Oh, she's going to get killed. Um, Just kind of the way it was set up. And then, you know, she lights her lamp and kind of goes about her business. And I think it's actually cutting back and forth between another scene. But at some point, uh, she's got the she's she's got her back to the lamp and maybe she's like looking in the mirror, taking her jacket off or something. Uh, And then it like somebody blows it out and like, yeah, and leads into all that. But yeah, that was a good scene. I like that. I also think I think one thing it's interesting. So like seven and that's mm-hmm. just the example that's coming to mind. But I think other movies do this as, as well, where a lot of horror movies like the one we watched last week um, or Carrie that the there's like the central horror story. But then around it, everyone's kind of an asshole, like life in general is just kind of like shitty and dark and scary. And something that I think really added somehow to the scariness of this movie is how kind everyone 
in Whitechapel is. Like, everyone knows each other. Interesting. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. looking out for each other and, like, you know, knowing that, like, hey, do you want me to, like, walk you home? And, um, like, you know, it's not like every... The, every corner of the town isn't like a creepy man it's like women are actually you know like everyone's they feel safe like they go out drinking and then walk away from the crowd to their houses and everyone's nice and and that something about it just made it i don't know maybe it just made me feel so much yeah i think that's sadder that they <laughs> that they then die but i think that choice made the you know the impending doom because like it's still shot and looks like you know we know this lady's gonna die but she has no fucking idea um yeah. and that's very frightening yeah i think you're right i think that they it seems like they mostly spend a little bit of time with each victim even if it's only a few seconds but you do get a sense of you know that they're at least a good person or a likable person mm -hmm. i kind of wonder if because in this movie the, the they refer to the the victims as actresses because they weren't allowed to use the word prostitute mm -hmm. uh, yet all the people we see that are killed if you were to describe them you if you had to pick the word actress or prostitute you'd probably pick the word prostitute um which maybe doesn't seem very nice but i'm just thinking about like poor single women uh middle-aged women in that part of town in London at that time. And that's what I, that's where my mind goes. But I kind of wonder if, if the movie wasn't allowed to call them prostitutes, I'm wondering if that, if it was like, okay, but let's kind of make them seem like of, you know, of a comparable social class. I don't know this is starting to sound kind of icky, but do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, mm -hmm. but let's also like really, really humanize them. Um, Am I well, making any? And it, am I making any sense? Well, yeah, and it's also confusing because, like, <laughs> being an actress was, as is you know the killer's point in the <laughs> in this film. Like, being an actress was, in many eyes, to be a prostitute. Really? Like, now, oh, I see if, what you mean. If I yes. can jump in, the the show that uh, that Merle puts on. It's not that much different than being a prostitute. It's really just pulling your dress up and showing your gams and dancing around. Well, yeah, that's around. what he's that's what he's saying. Right, right. Um, but yeah. I so just... you have much in common with uh, the, with Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I also thought that was hilarious that like all these people dress up fancy and turn out to this show and they do yeah. one dance number where it's just one them like song. hopping around dancing with like pulling their dresses up and everybody's like, oh, it's brilliant. She's the best. Well, think um, about it this way, yes. Mike. How long do you you know how long do you really need to watch a a porno for you yeah know what i mean no i got no problem i mean i got no problem but these people have to hold their boner until they get home yeah yeah i took a lot of restraint back in those days i that's guess that's right. why it was so sexy mm -hmm. yeah that show you just i mean he that guy it, uh was it slade he was about ready to burst at the end watching that dance so i was like it, let, it i go ahead no you go i was gonna say i loved that my favorite performance uh like acting beat for him was when he was watching that show. Mm -hmm. It reminded me a lot of Night, Night of the Hunter. Yes, Robert Mitchum. Except, yeah. yeah, there was like an added layer to it. I thought, I thought, uh, you know, I, I know, I feel like in Robert Mitchum, it's like 
way more obvious that he has an erection and wants to kill the person he's watching. And (laughs) I felt that uh, in this movie, it was much more subtle. Like, even though his expression is, like, insane and the way he's lit is insane, there's still, like, it's, like, very subtly, in, in my to my read, it was very subtly sailing between I want to, like, I'm, I'm a, I'm jizzing in my pants and I have to kill mm-hmm. this person. It yeah. just, it just, it just felt, yeah, it felt way more restrained to me. Like probably cause they're not showing, uh, you know, Mitchum, you know, the knuckles. What does he have tattooed on his knuckles? Well, he has a, a razor, uh, the, the knife blade shoots out. Yeah. In yeah. Like it's like a penis. But right. Then, yes. He does have <laughs> yes. a tattoo. Okay. On yeah. Yeah. Which it's awesome, but it's also just like, all right, we know exactly the, yeah. where this, where this yeah. man, where this man <laughs> yeah. sits. But, um, yeah. So I, I loved that. Um, I think anytime you get a you get an acting beat where it's like two very different feelings that also have a lot of like crossover and you get to see that, I think that's like very, very cool. Um, and then I, I think it also it kind of adds to the next scene where he's in her dressing room, which, by the way, when they mm-hmm. reveal him behind the yeah that shot, just with the camera like up against the wall and he's kind of crouched down. And he's just like hello (laughs) that's like prob that's probably the actual scariest shot in the like it's not just like moody and unnerving but just like that is a scary scary image um it's so weird it's very weird it's very weird um but yeah that that whole i love that whole scene where and he's basically just regurgitating the same thing he said to her earlier but now she's (laughs) like having to listen because he's got his a hand around her throat hand on her yeah Mm -hmm. I thought the whole, uh, I was very confused with the brother <laughs> for a while, for when he was explaining that. I'm I, like, I still don't get it. What was dude, it? Dude, I don't know either. I'm trying to, I mean, to me, what it seems like is some like lady of the night gave his brother syphilis or something. I just like, thought it was that that he she like pulled him off the right track or something. I didn't. But, but they like, show that she pulled him be- off. They show that sure. before and after. Right, but I just thought like, it was like like here he is when he's like you know upstanding and a gentleman and that I think you could be totally right, but just the way I mm-hmm. read it was just like uh, she took him from like a good dude and then like introduced him to that like, you know hard living lifestyle but it, of. It also seemed to me, okay, when. <laughs> It's hard. It's always hard to say because sometimes it's like books, like books and plays, like gayness is like okay, and like incest is like something that novels and plays and stuff have dealt with for like literally thousands of years, but then movies will be kind of weird about it, you know? Like when he's describing. Well, he's describing his brother's visage. It's, you know, it's kind of sexual, I thought. Hmm. Like, he's describing his brother, his brother's face and his full lips and everything like he would describe a woman. And so I felt I'm like, "Hmm, what the fuck's going on here? And is this part of his pathology? Um, But he also wants to fuck ladies. mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Okay, I don't know. I'm hey, not saying that 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 we have that in common. I can't, I, know, I can't say that it. That, I'm not saying that you can't want both. It's just 
it seems it just the, certainly the way he like this. The way he talked about his brother, I agree, yeah. was unusual. Um, mm. and then I also wondered because when they pulled out the portraits, whoever did those portraits did a really good job of making that person look like he was related to Laird Krieger to the extent that I was like, did he have a brother? Like, yeah, is he his brother? Like, interesting. Is he talking about some former version of himself? I don't need all these questions like to be answered, but it was it was a it was not a good enough movie that I was sure that these pieces were being put down deliberately in a way, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I wish I had some more clarity on whether the movie was in control of (laughs) like how this is being presented to us. So that occurred to me when he was talking about his brother, but Mm -hmm. I think given that this was 1944 and, and not to impose any sort of like, uh, I don't know, naivete on those people. Obviously they were the same as we are, but like, um, I think it was, well, and they were definitely fucking their sisters and brothers. And, exactly. And, yeah. And yeah. children. And, yeah. Um, well, so there's two, I guess there's two angles I might go like this was a British. Wait, was this a British film? This is a British film. Yes. Yeah, so there wouldn't have been, like, the code like we would have had here, but I'm sure right. they had something. And I also think that that's why we have that final shot of his body floating in the river instead of ending mm-hmm. it just without that shot. Um, oh, I missed that. Yeah, like, at the very end, you just see, like, kind of his suit jacket kind of floating above the river, and I think maybe uh, it's, like, shoe or something. Darn, um, okay. But, uh, but I also think that it was also just more common or acceptable or whatever to talk about either male friendship or brotherly love kind of sure. like he was the like the beauty of a man it wouldn't have like and I, I may be totally wrong but like somebody in 1944 or i guess when this movie is supposed to take place in the what 1890s i guess um mm-hmm. 80s but yeah 80s okay uh that yeah you wouldn't just like somebody wouldn't be like ah and his his beautiful full lips. Ah, my brother, he was such a such a great man. And they wouldn't be. Yeah, like, I also don't want to say that like that's automatically. <laughs> no, no, I know. Yeah, gay, but, uh, but it's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I thought the same thing, kind of. Yeah, just like you well, don't see that. Like hmm. if I like again, if this was a novel written in the nineteenth century, then that would be, you know, I mean, things are homoerotic because i say they are but (laughs) like it wouldn't be as unusual i think in a in a movie in the 40s it's kind of weird for a guy to talk about another guy that way yeah i think also i I just want with with regard to homoeroticism i really regret putting you in charge of that Uh, i feel like you've been way too liberal (laughs) i also feel like i don't this is making me feel like i understand the movie even less um because like, what are the experiments he's doing? Maybe he's not. Yeah, was doing... he a was he a doctor? He was some sort of like um, I... he was some he was something. 
He was something that well, has to do Well, they think Jack the Ripper may have been a doctor. Yeah. Right. See, and I, I but thought he goes it was to the university just, at one point. To that, like, so, yeah, I thought so. it was all just something he had made up, like Slade, that he just got that from the street name. Right. Uh, but then mm-hmm. he actually does go to the university and he's like working. The, the guard's like, oh, yeah, he's been coming here for years. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. So what the hell? That's the thing. Yeah. Also, the, the Slade thing is very funny because that's that's like a comedy thing. That is a comedy yeah. trope. It's like you walk in. Yeah. It's just like, yes, my name is, uh, you know. And he made sure. To pick the scariest street name, too. And then, yeah, also yeah. like Slay, Slade, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, I don't, I just, I, I think that it's if it's, it's this thing with his brother, but then he's also trying to cut the remove the the evil from beauty. I, I mean, you know what I mean? It's just like it's in any. Well, that's of, very any, serial killery. I know, but like me. any of these things, they make sense. Like that makes the most sense to me on its own. Mm-hmm. But this thing with the brother, it just doesn't. I, I agree with you. It's there. I'm recalling the scene. It's definitely there's the presence of something there, but I don't fully understand. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it doesn't feel like. And again, I'm not like a psychologist, so I don't know. I've, but it it feels like a roundabout way to get to he hates women. Do you know what I mean? That like right. you'd think there'd be a more direct line of like his mom was mean to him. What <laughs> you know? Whatever. Um, yeah. The, yeah. the brother art thing or you'd th- or you'd think maybe the paintings that his brother made were of women yeah you know yeah like if he had like one of his brother's paintings of a woman or of the woman who led to his you know downfall or whatever like then that would maybe back up the whole idea of like women are really beautiful but they need to like be dead in order for the- for it not to be evil um, that's interesting thing. and he's like trying to continue that or something like that um yeah but like you know yeah I maybe this that. is more maybe this b- actually better captures the batshit complexity of real human beings which doesn't necessarily follow no i know <laughs> movie plot lines you know well i have a couple of notes of stuff okay. we haven't quite gotten to um one of the the scenes right before wiggy dies um there's the they're in the bar. It's the two women in the bar, and yeah, like the lady's playing her accordion, and everybody's like, "Ah, oh, you're great. We love you." <laughs> and then Wiggy comes over and she's like, "Hey, can I borrow your accordion and sing some hymns? It'll put me in business for a week." And uh, and then it, like she gives her the accordion, and as soon as Wiggy like kind of plays a little, <laughs> the guy's like, "Get out of here, ugly." <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. Um, the uh, I did. I noted. I thought the. I think that like. Kit had said this movie ends on a real high note and then it starts really well with like kind of the atmosphere. I thought a lot of the police stuff was pretty tedious, like the fingerprints and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. I or the, kind the, of bored. the part where he's just like, uh, you know, he couldn't he couldn't be the killer unless we're all wrong at Scotland Yard. That was funny. Right. And then he's just like, <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Maybe we're all wrong. Yeah. And then and that then it, it was super funny. And then it's preceded by a scene of him like acting out how they could be wrong with a dude who doesn't work for who's not it's just like yeah okay he says yeah. not unless every detective at the yard is wrong like, <laughs> God, that was good that was a good burn yeah um yeah and then i guess i said all of the nighttime street scenes are just so cool looking very stylish spooky it reminded me of m have you seen m yes oh yeah yes it reminded yeah. me of m what the Definitely. heck was i just watching I was just watching something where somebody had an M poster on their wall. Anyways, I don't know what that was. 
but uh but yeah that's a good movie although i have not seen that movie since probably for about 20 years i haven't seen that movie uh so but i think that's most of my notes i said some of the close-ups on uh krieger are like like really good like they yeah. kind of do a thing there so there's that scene at the very end where he's just like you know like seething at the police like he or you know he's like growling mm-hmm. at the police uh, but then also before that, when he's kind of moving through the rafters behind the stages, there's some cool stuff they do. I don't even know. I think the camera kind of stays put, but he's like mm-hmm. coming up at this angle. Yep. And the way his mm-hmm. face is yep. lit, it just really like, yes. like floats toward the screen. It's he's cool. like climbing a ladder or something yes. through yes. a stage yeah. door. Yeah, he walks. Yeah. yeah, he walks right like right down the barrel, basically. Yeah, yeah that's and a I great thought that shot. Was cool. That's a great shot. Yeah. I love it um I think that that whole sequence much... i think is great i mean you can tell that yeah. they spent money on that whole ch- like that chase it looks really really good that whole yeah. set is awesome it's lit very well it's very dramatic there's just lots of like lines and shadows and um yeah it's very very pretty. yeah i'm going through i'm going through right now i'm like watching some of the scenes again and it is wild how just how it'll go from this just really gorgeously dramatically lit scene. And it's like, yeah, of course you want to save that for the scary scenes. But then another scene will just be like overlit. Like, it's just like right next to it. It's like so bright and boring and crazy. It makes me wonder if they didn't know if you could like sustain like an under like underlying feeling of dread or if they felt like they had to give the audience a break because it was like too scary or something like that well and it's like you noted i think you said that right at the beginning of the episode like it feels like a genre trying to figure itself out a little bit like mm-hmm. like this would be before i mean not a hundred percent like there definitely was just a solid horror film you know before this but like yeah there's there was m. a period i mean actually we talked about this with uninvited uh, last year uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah m is a good example um where uninvited was kind of in this weird place where ghosts weren't established as scary yet i think is like that was kind of one of the first yeah. movies to have yeah um and so yeah there was like the horror of the 40s is not just like this is like just a grueling you know yeah you know, nail biting well, edge of your seat type of thing and this would be like making zodiac now yeah yeah i actually thought and that, it that would, there should be it, a zodiac for jack the ripper like that'd be cool yeah, it would be, be cool. but it would be strange. Like if Zodiac was, I could see Zo- the Zodiac murders are like recent enough that I could see people being like, it's in poor taste to treat this <laughs> as like a pure kind of like scary yeah. spectacle. Maybe that's inaccurate, but like that's well, how movie... recent the Jack the Ripper murders were. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna. Okay, I was gonna say this movie is only about as far removed from uh, Jack the Ripper as that would be. Yeah, Yeah. that's why I'm like, maybe they, maybe that restrained them a little bit. Well, it's weird that they kind and I guess they do call him the Ripper. Yeah, I guess uh, it's weird that they resolve it because as far as I know, the Jack the Ripper stuff was never conclusively resolved. I don't think it is resolved though, and I think the movie doesn't think that they've resolved it. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, I agree. Yeah, they do a little bit of like stuff at the end where it's like, you know, like you said that, like, well, if it was him, I'm glad or something. But I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, that was most of my notes. I guess uh, also just sometimes I go through the cast and like the uh, the crew. And one thing is that uh, I guess Barry Lyndon, the guy that wrote this movie, Barry yes, Lyndon. I saw sure. that. I was going to screenshot that and send it to you. Guys. Yeah. Barry Lyndon. He uh, also wrote War of the Worlds. He actually had a pretty diverse uh 
I don't know, filmography. He has some, uh, the screenplays he'd written. Um, but I was, I actually earlier when you were talking about Krieger, Laird Krieger, um, I was surprised that he had such a short filmography cause he was really good in this. Uh, and I actually, I didn't, I didn't read his biographies or, you know, the, on the Wikipedia yeah. to, uh, learn the history, but that makes sense. If he died right as this was coming out. that way. Yeah. He still got, I mean, I think I, he's basically forgotten now, I guess, but he got a star on the Hollywood walk of fame in 1960. Okay. Like, I think he was very, you know, sort of like, I don't know, James Dean before James Dean in a certain sense and that he was very like respected as an yeah. actor and considered like, oh, this guy's going to be huge. Um, yeah, definitely a presence. Yeah, it's a bummer. His eyes are like incredible. Yeah, he I think he really does. Of, of who? Sorry, uh, Orson Welles. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's Orson. He's orson wellsian to me in that he's like he to me he seems like he has this like striking beauty that he can turn on when he feels like it mm -hmm. and then just like also play like a total scumbag you know like and play any age apparently right that's, like. that's the thing with orson wells is like yeah it just he looks completely different in so many of his movies yeah um, i think he's just like he they had a lot of control over yeah, and it reminded me even him just deciding like I'm gonna lose weight for this role. It 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 just like, and like I said, how he seems to look like a different person at the end of the movie to me than he from yeah. how he looks at the beginning. Like, and that's just through acting. Like he just decided, yeah, like this would be good for the character. I mean, it reminds me. I mean, Jim Carrey does that in like another way of just hmm. like I I just there's a lot of comedians who. Like they've never sung in their lives, but like they have to sing for a role. And so they just like become a singer like Jim Carrey just like figured out how to sing exactly like Andy Kaufman, like it, that kind of stuff where I'm like, how are you like your acting goes to the ability to manipulate your vocal cords, you know, yeah. like it's so it's such a like unusual skill. Anyway, I think this movie was very much worth watching like yeah, yeah like you picked it. it yeah it wasn't the best but i think the end alone is worth the price of admission that yeah. that last Actually, scene is so cool isn't that kind of how m ends uh yeah they're they, like well, they, chasing they, him through the streets and he's just kind of like an animal like hunted down yeah and we don't okay. i don't think we i think we don't definitively know if he was the killer either and i think they okay. kill him i think they murder him um okay yeah, i had to watch a, that again that's I, very good it's very dark but it's good yeah I also think this movie was definitely worth the watch. Um, it's, I mean, I think we've kind of dwelled on its problems a lot, but at a, you know, cool 84 minutes long, you can forgive a lot of things for, yeah. for what, especially mm -hmm. for what it gives back. And if I were to like lump, you know, the two 1940s quote unquote horror movies that we've watched, I would say this is the superior one. You like this better than Uninvited? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I can see that. I think the uninvited was scary overall, scarier overall, which is like I think a pretty big achievement. Um, I think like the the, the eeriness, but the movie is maybe goofier even than this one. Yeah, <laughs> at I parts. think the I think the parts that are that are scary in this movie are scarier. Like that opening, the opening murder, and the the sounds. I have a note here about the, the sounds, sounds are really that, good. Those were that was nasty murder noises. I also the screams, the fucking like that fucked up scream, it really freaked mm -hmm. me out. 
I think the lady in her in her like domicile getting like I think her trying to scream and being too scared to scream. I think mm-hmm. that's a very scary idea. Um, and then him and him in the dressing room genuinely like that is terrifying. That is really scary. Yeah. Um, the uninvited. I think that the idea of I think maybe like seeing the ghost and then see and like having it so dramatically lit in places where it's just like, you know, and also thinking about how these houses like at night were just dark as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is scary. I think, uh, but I don't know. There's something, there's something more real about this. Obviously it's about a person murdering people versus just like a ghost existing. A ghost. Um, That's true. So yeah, I don't know. There's something, there's something very, also, just like the 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 sex part of it, I think too. There's just a lot about it that just feels very tangible, mm-hmm. um, even though there's a bunch of you know uh, many aspects that are very absurd. There are just there's something that feels like it has because this is like before we had like a good understanding of like serial killers. I think uh, I'm pretty sure, but this feels like it has like it's kind of scratching the surface of that and mm-hmm. trying to explore it. Yeah, I can see that. They both have incest, though, or sort of weird little bits of implied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things I'm that noticing... at least things that seem weird to us now. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme in the movies that Kit picks here. Mm-hmm. You picked Uninvited. No, I, I didn't pick it. <laughs> I did. Okay. Oh, Andrew picked <laughs> Uninvited. But if I'd known that Kit was going to latch onto incest, I would have picked something else. <laughs> I don't and think yeah. it was because of that. Uh, any little stragglers or is it time for the cruise minute? I'm ready. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm through it. Yeah, me too. Okay. Cruise minute. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. I've already cruise. done. Okay. I don't know. I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you got, Mike? You got anything? <laughs> no. You got anything, Kit? I feel like there's actually been a lot. There's been some good stuff. We got some good stuff. We got one. Uh, and some fucking bad stuff. Did we already talk about everything getting delayed? Yeah, that's super sad. We hate it. What got uh, delayed? Maverick. Mission Impossible? And... Top Gun and Mission oh, yeah. Impossible? We did talk about that. So, uh, or sorry, no, this is the cruise minute. I'll wait. Well, I was going to say that uh, apparently Tom Cruise is pretty mad at Paramount because they have committed to a 45-day uh, theatrical release, and then they're pushing that shit to Paramount+. Plus. A streamer oh. we all have and love and can't wait to watch. Does he think that that's going to hurt the box? I, d- I genuinely I don't know. Don't know. I don't 45 know. days is a long time. Usually you want like 100 time. days. Yeah. So like so like Nolan just, his the big news about Nolan is that he just negotiated a big deal with Universal and he's yes. left Warner Brothers. He has a 100-day theatrical window. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because basically Guaranteed. the logic is you want people to be like, well, I don't want to wait three months. I'll go see it now. As opposed to like, it's like, oh, yeah, this next month, this will be or I don't, how many days did hmm. you say? Forty five. OK, so, yeah, wait six weeks, five, five or six weeks. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll be going to see it uh, or streaming it from home. So apparently so, yeah, he's I apparently he logic. is apparently he's not happy about it. And uh, I'm not happy either. Tom's not happy. I'm not happy. I agree. And there was something else I read. Um. Well, they wrapped Mission Impossible 7. I'm, I'm, I cannot believe how long they've been shooting this movie. Yeah, if, what is that, like two years? <laughs> it feels like they've been shooting it the entire pandemic. <laughs> yes. That's what it feels like. 
Um, I feel like, like, yeah, I feel like the the subplot of this podcast is the filming of Mission Impossible Seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, he they wrapped it with a final stunt of Tom Cruise uh, landing a helicopter in London. Hmm. Cool, very cool. Um, my cruise minute is that Timothy Chalamet is looking more and more like Tom Cruise every day. Maybe that's what happens. Maybe Tom Cruise won't die. He'll just slowly morph into Timothy Chalamet and we'll get another <laughs> like 40 years of okay, Tom Cruise. That'd be cool. Yeah. We would now would let me ask you this. Say he has, you know, and he's do he's got some like Suspiria witch magic going on and he is slowly being absorbed and becoming Timothy Chalamet. You would you would feel okay sacrificing Timothy Chalamet. Yes. yes. I don't actually like Timothy Chalamet very much. What do you not like him from? Well, the only thing I've seen him in that I can think of is Lady Bird. And he plays kind of a dick in that. See, a lot of people. So I was talking to somebody else who also thought they didn't like him because of Lady Bird. Uh And then they saw him in like Little Women or Call Me By Your Name. It was me. I saw Little Women. I didn't like him in Little Women either. I thought he was great in Little Women. And and considering what he considering how much I love the original little women and particularly like Christian Bale's Laurie is like so awesome. And it's a very different version of that character, but I had to be like, God damn it. I just like how physical he is. He makes very weird, like physical choices that really work for me. There's something about, there's something about the way he speaks too. Like he doesn't, totally enunciate his words he he's kind of a, a mumbler yeah in a way like it's it's growing on me it was something that kind of irritated me at first but then there's something i don't know there's something very interesting to me um he's also i really like him and i'm not attracted to him so that i mean come on yeah i also think he's like that my opinion matters i'm excited <laughs> to see if he if, if if dune does well and he becomes a big star i'm excited to see that also i think he's like I can't think of anyone else on the planet right now who I would cast as uh, Paul Atreides. So I'm I'm very excited for that. Are you into Dune, Mike? Uh, I read the book because I was excited for Dune. I read it back in 2019 thinking like, oh, I better watch it before the movie comes out. Or I better read it before the movie comes out in 2020. And uh, so like I, I was looking forward to Dune. I enjoyed Blade Runner 2049. I really liked Prisoners and uh, Sicario. Uh, so like I'm a villain you fan, but uh, I don't know. I don't. It's just like the the hype has kind of died for me. I really hate movies right now. <laughs> uh, but uh, like just everything new, I'm just like ah fuck it. Like I don't give a shit about it anymore. But uh, I think a couple of winners are going to bring me back around. Like I love theaters. It's just like the movies are so fucking bad now. Uh, so it's like I'm I'm not excited for Dune, but I'll probably go see Dune. And then maybe that'll kind of get me in. And there was something I saw today. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie comes out in December. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's good. Yeah, that, that's more my my speed. Like, I'll go see that. I'll go see The French Dispatch. I'll go see. Uh, I don't know. See, you know, French. Yeah. I saw the trailer for that. And that here's what Wes Anderson does to me now. I see a trailer for a Wes Anderson movie and it looks so much like an SNL parody of a Wes Anderson movie that it makes me not yeah. want to go see it. And then I go see it. And I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah. yeah. Well, except for you Moon know Rice. Timothy Chalamet's Moon... in French Dispatch, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Nice. Yeah. So maybe that'll be. And I, I would like to see him in more. But as far as like when we're talking about like he's the next Tom Cruise, it's like no. Like 
Tom Cruise there from is the get go no has Tom this Cruise. energy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But like, but then if if we're talking like joking, like Tom Cruise can like you know absorb the yeah. The body, I'm not like, even saying that he. I don't think his performance style is like Tom Cruise. No. He just looks like him, and it's more when he's in interviews that he really reminds me of young Tom Cruise energy. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm open to the Chalamet. I'm just not on board the, the I, Chalamet train. It, see, this is the thing that I will say about Wes Anderson, though, is mm. that I think since Royal Tenenbaums, mm-hmm. he's been this Wes Anderson. It's not as if like like now he's like a joke in popular culture and like SNL can make a sketch about him. But I don't personally feel that his filmmaking has become more of the thing that always made it potentially obnoxious. Um, That's how I feel anyway. Like, I don't because I remember. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's actually obnoxious. I think it looks because because I think his movies are much more stylized and removed from reality. Like there's there's more. Um, he's trying. Like I feel like he's pushing the style further. There's more like stylized bits. You know, like um, like he'll incorporate like some like in uh, what's the movie with. Uh, with Bruce Willis in it. Is that Moon Moonrise? Moonrise He's in that. Yeah, there's like a very there's like some very very stylized stuff in that and then in Oh, Grand Budapest Hotel is a great example, I think. Yeah. It's it's so uh, it's not that they're diff- fundamentally different, but there is like I feel that the Royal Tenenbaums exists much more in the real world than his last Maybe. few movies. And that doesn't mean I think... that they're bad. I mm-hmm. like them, but I think the thing, I guess I have the same problem that I always have, but then I also, so like I famously started Grand Budapest Hotel, watched about five minutes and I was like, I have to turn this off. I cannot fucking deal with this. And then I tried it again like a year and a half later and I was like, this is the best Wes Anderson (laughs) movie. And it he does the same thing. Like the style is, I think, in a way, something to get over, and then also like the reason you want to watch it in the first place. But the thing that he does, which is the same thing, the reason Royal Tenenbaums was my like favorite movie for a while, is not like just that it looked so cool and like the art direction was so cool. It was really that Ben Stiller scene where there's all there's a moment where you know. It's all of this weird artifice and people not behaving like real people. And then there's one scene where Ben Stiller is saying, it's been a really hard year, dad. And he almost starts to cry. And I'm like, God damn it. And like, it's so much more emotional because the entire rest of the movie has been such a like pantomime of, you know, and I felt the same way about the Grand Budapest Hotel. We're like, first, like, Ray Fiennes, I love his performance, but it's mm-hmm. like he's not playing a real guy until he's gone and you're like devastated yeah. <laughs> by the fact that he's like it was him not being any there anymore was like so, so much more emotional than it would be in a movie that looked normal. <laughs> I think that's a really, I don't know how he does it. I think that's a really good point. And I think that's a great case to, you know, um, ignore any feelings of Wes Anderson being, you know, obnoxious and like aping him himself to the point, you know, over and over again to the point where it's becoming ridiculous. But I think to better sum up what I was trying to say, do you remember in Rushmore when we actually see 
the play that Max wrote. It's that Vietnam mm-hmm. play. Yeah. It feels like his movies it's look, the they look yeah. like the play now. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but it's just like, it's been parodied and made fun of so much that it's like, it's like, I don't, I don't go in one. It's sort of like, honestly, it's kind of like, I kind of feel the same way about Pixar movies where like, I'm never, mm-hmm. ever, ever excited about a Pixar movie. And I don't love all of them, but like, I usually will end up watching them and I'll end up being more entertained than I maybe thought I would be. So it's, I don't know. And it's something about just like things that it's like your expectations based on other people's perceptions, I guess, or people like talking about, or just being annoyed. Like you can get, you know what a Pixar movie is going to do. And it always, almost always does it. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's true about Wes Anderson. And like, he has some movies that I just am like, I don't like, and it wasn't worth it. <laughs> but sure. for the most part, he's been pretty consistent about, as, even with me sitting there being like, okay, Wes Anderson, he still will end up making me cry. And it's the same <laughs> with Pixar, where like, I know where what you're going to do. Like, you know, it's going to be a bunch of silly shit, and then you're going to be like, you know remember childhood and i'm gonna be like okay fine (laughs) yeah i do okay i also (laughs) you did it (laughs) i also wonder if he if he kind of has to keep pushing his own envelope because like maybe the sort of sort of quirky dark indie indie comedy has been kind of like i think people are probably ripped off enough from him at this point where it's like i can't i can't i i can only go deeper into myself you know, like I have to do, I have well, to do a West, I have to make a Wes Anderson movie because that's who I am, but I can't make something that anybody else can make. I yeah. think there's a very real sense for him. I think it's fair to say he might care more about production design than about movies in a yeah. way. And he keeps like, they took over an entire town for the French Dispatch, like in Grand Budapest Hotel he took over like whatever a shopping mall or whatever that was and made it in a hotel. Now he's making a whole town look how he wants a town to look. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's almost what's getting. And there's like every cat, every movie that comes out, you're like, he couldn't possibly have more cast members in this one. And it's like, Nope, he could. So it's like, (laughs) so he's just eventually going to have like a city that is just perpetually Wes Andersonville. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, Wes Anderson is a very interesting filmmaker, and so I will see whatever he does. For sure. So I'm not necessarily in love with every movie he does. Like, I really don't like Darjeeling. No. I, and I've watched it three no times. No one does. And I've, it's just <laughs> never clicked with me. Uh, however, Life Aquatic, I thought, too. Yeah, Life Aquatic. Actually, I liked it when I it came like out. That. And then when I watched it again about probably five years ago, it just, it was, I was, it, and but what's really weird is, like, we've all been talking about, or like, like people don't really have I, I think film people don't have lukewarm takes on Wes Anderson like like he's it's it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino for me where it's like mm-hmm. there are some movies that Quentin Tarantino has done there are some movies that Wes Anderson has done that are the best movies of all like they would be on my top 20 list you know like Bottle Rocket uh, Rushmore those movies like Moonrise Kingdom even like mm-hmm. uh Bottle Rocket, I watch every single year, and I love Bottle Rocket, and it's it's not like any other movie uh, that I've ever seen. Interesting. Um, but like, and then, okay, and then with Tarantino, Pulp Fiction, uh, I love Jackie Brown. I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like, 
I specifically remember not liking Django. Like it was it was entertaining, but I just was like, that was dumb. Like, was what a waste of time. And even like um uh Hateful Eight. I really did not like yeah, Hateful Eight. A lot but of like, people hated that. I hate that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but this yeah. And so it's like the thing I that I'm going to see the French dispatch. It's not even that like I'm excited to see the French dispatch. It's just that like I'm excited every time Wes Anderson or Quentin Tarantino or like yeah. one of these guys does something because it's always like like it's for the movie people like it's it's you know so it's not yeah. necessarily like it's going to be good uh you know but it's just like and, and and a lot of times it's great you know but yeah but like well yeah like you love moonrise kingdom i feel like that i despised that movie yeah and like i have nothing but respect for your opinion about it but it's like you are right that like like I said, Royal Tenenbaums was my favorite movie for a long time. I think Grand Budapest Hotel is amazing. And then yeah. Moonrise Kingdom, I loathe. Yeah. So like, and it's the same guy doing basically the same thing. I know. And it's so <laughs> weird. Because like, does. so like we are all this way and we've been talking about Wes Anderson for like 20 years. Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, I mean, well, I guess 15 years, the, the two of us. Uh, and then Andrew, we've talked plenty as well. But like Steve is like another one of my movie buddies and he... I'm pretty sure it was Moonrise Kingdom. He hated Moonrise Kingdom, but like he doesn't necessarily hate Wes Anderson. So it's -hmm. just there's something about like Andrew saying like the social response and context and how you feel like uh, Wes Anderson is doing the same old thing. Then there's also something about like just the mood when you sit down. Like I have sat down to watch Royal Tenenbaums, which I love generally. But I I remember one time I sat down and watched and I was like, ah, this is awful. Like none of this is clicking with me. Um so the, I don't know. It's it's well, and it's very interesting. There's no other filmmaker. I, I guess I did pitch out Tarantino. There's like there's so few where there's like there's just it's it's not even just like just the work because there is this personality they have. Yeah. And that's hard to navigate and then really decide how you actually felt about the film, I suppose. But anyways, all this I, aside, I, I am excited for Prince of Best. I also think that like you can sit down and watch a movie that's made by like a true master of the craft. And even if it's even if it's bad, like even if you really don't like it, there's there's going to be something to there's going to be something underneath the surface. There's going to be some some layers to peel back. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. even I have a real uh, hate, sometimes love relationship with people like like Ridley Scott and. But even when I watch like one of his truly bad movies i feel like it's different than watching like you might there might be more to a bad wes anderson movie or a martin scorsese movie than there would be to like a good you know marvel movie marvel movie or yeah or whatever movie like i mean it's just so there's something and that doesn't necessarily yeah i don't know it's it's just something to think about like that there's well these people have forgotten more about movies than most directors will you know ever learn mm-hmm. yeah yeah and i guess that makes me think of two things and i guess i know that we don't need me to talk too. about Wes Anderson for too long <laughs> but uh but like so one thing the the films that wes anderson clearly appreciates you know loves is familiar with you know uh references or whatever just the style he emulates i have to think that about probably 95% of the people working in film today have not bothered to watch right. most of those movies. Well, that's just, what Scorsese, you know, Scorsese, Tarantino, and Wes Anderson, like, what do they all have in yeah. common? Yeah, like a love of, like, older film and just, like, yeah. So, so, so it's like an encyclopedic knowledge of movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And like and another thing. So leading then into the the second thing I thought of while you were talking, um, part of, I think, why I've come to really appreciate Wes Anderson over the last 10 years in particular, like I was I was I would say on the outs with him until I saw Moonrise and I loved it so much. But like and so that kind of caused me to revisit all of this stuff. And then I basically rediscovered Bottle Rocket, like which mm. I had seen in high school. But watching it as an adult, I was just like, holy shit, this movie's incredible. Um, anyhow, sorry. The uh, over the last 10 years, it's like movies have become and this is something we've talked about, too, like like just painfully topical sometimes, like especially like indie movies or like uh, Oscar type movies or I don't know. Um, mm-hmm the the film people type of movie like some of them are good but a lot of them it's just like oh my god like i wanted to go to the movies just to go to the movies i don't need like a lecture in i don't know whatever kind of political thing is big uh wes anderson like you said he did pull him it feels like he pulled himself into max's play and his playing in this dollhouse for the last however many mm-hmm. years but like sometimes that's like it doesn't seem like anybody else can do that <laughs> it seems like nobody else is making fiction like I mean, yeah, I'm sure people are. It seems like so few people are making movies that are just joyfully fictional and, and, you know, mm-hmm. and they can still have meaning and they can still have emotional resonance and stuff. But just like, like, I don't feel like Wes Anderson has ever like preached something, some political point at me or anything like this. Um, and yeah, his movies are just kind of like, like there's the dollhouse thing, but they're also just kind of aloof in this way that is very unfashionable. Uh, and so even when people make this claim, that, like Wes Anderson is so uh, he's so achingly hipster, you know, he's, you know, mm-hmm. all this kind of thing. It's like that might have made sense in 2000, uh, maybe the mid 2000s when people were kind of leveling this against his work. But like now, like he's he's the only one making movies that like like Grand Budapest is so fucking fun. And oh, I, yeah, I, I can think of so few movies that it's just like and and I don't watch Grand Budapest Paddington. and be like, ah, <laughs> like this is really saying something about, you know, anything. It's just it's just a good story. You've got good characters. It's so fun. And uh, yeah, and I don't I just and maybe I'm missing them because I don't keep up with film, new film that much. But uh, it's just like nobody's doing this anymore. So it's like even back in like when everybody was ripping off Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums in the in the 2000s, it's like nobody's doing Grand Budapest or Moonrise uh, anymore. Nobody's like like nobody's watching Hitchcock movies from the 30s and 40s and like like the lighthearted ones you know and like and yeah. uh putting that in their work but anyhow that was a long spiel i apologize no that's a good point we are a movies podcast so that's true but that's true <laughs> i do think it's uh, interesting too how like it, just jumping off your point about like the 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 politics that are injected into movies now and yeah it's so funny to me like yes that's true and it's totally exhausting but it's also interesting to me how how often that stuff is kind of it's 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 like the uh the sort of like it's, it's the marketing or it's the stuff surrounding the movie it's not yes, actually it's not actually in the movie but it's like we've been hearing about it for so long that it yeah. kind of and and because there are so many other movies around it like i was thinking about it's bad but um Oh, here's a good example. In the third Star Trek movie, Zulu's gay. And there's nothing in the movie, there's nothing in the movies prior that indicates that he wasn't gay. And there's very little in the movie. The only thing that inter- that introduces the fact that he's gay is he hugs somebody. And it's after a traumatic 
event or something and it makes sense you would do that with your loved one but there's nothing there's nothing overtly political about it it's only political because of all of this all of the time people wasted writing articles about it yeah, yeah. it's so and, much stupid it's so much it's more offensive yes. to base your marketing campaign <laughs> on something Ha normal happening practically off screen <laughs> like right in the movie and it's yeah. sort of like it's sort of like yeah they sort of overcommit to it um and it's kind of like it's like a like a modern family or something where it's like two of the most prominent characters are a gay couple who you never see kiss you know so there's like there's there's something about it where it's just like we want we're 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 pushing some sort of agenda to get views or tickets you know, purchased, but we're not, we're, we're not actually doing the thing that we're, uh, advertising because yeah. we don't, you know, we don't want to gross anybody out or something like that. Right. Which makes it feel like a weird mix of like, we think that this is unnatural, but we realize it's popular, which is annoying in both ways. Yes. Yeah. Like, they piss off and they yeah. do, you know, they piss off everyone. And I mean, there's a reason that, you know, there've been a lot of movies that have, you know, come out in the last, I don't know, I guess like 10 years at this point where it's like, this is the like empowered female version of this movie because right. like we put girls in it or whatever, but it's like, there was no reason other than that to, for making the movie. So the yeah. movies fucking suck. Like well. <laughs> they're terrible because all they have is like, it's about girls now. It's like, well, was there any other, that's in, that's also like an insultingly like paternalistic, like way of making yes. a movie to yeah. say like, well, now you'll, you know, there's girls in it. So like, it's obviously good now. And I mean, I will just say like Grand Budapest Hotel is about, I mean, it's a fictional country, but it's about a country in wartime. Like the scene that I'm talking about where Rafe Fiennes uh, is killed is he is defending <laughs> a refugee <laughs> from soldiers. Like he yeah. sacrifices himself to, you know, for, you know for what's right mm -hmm. and i'm like th i think that the emotional reaction that somebody has to like movies that aren't about a specific topical thing as you say like that still could have an emotional like well just ex going through a story and experiencing an emotion alongside characters i think in a way that's like effective regardless of what it's about, I think can have a lot uh, bigger influence on somebody than being like, uh, you know, this is the, th <laughs> for the third time being like, this is the first gay character in a Disney movie. <laughs> or right. So, so exactly what you're saying. I think, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, because you become invested in the story and the characters, uh, there's an appeal to your humanity. Like, mm -hmm. as opposed to, uh, I don't know what would be a really but I, I'm sure if I look through last deck, I, I could pick many examples as, as uh, there's many movies that m they do it in a way where it is an appeal to your identity politics, like, or to even to somebody else's identity politics. Well, not, in I'm, say you know. in, um, in Endgame, there's like a f famously maligned scene mm -hmm. where that like didn't work. I, I don't, it did, it did not like to the audience's credit, 
people only make fun of this scene that I've ever seen where all of the female superheroes like come together and somebody says something really stupid and then they like fight and we're supposed to be like, and it's like one of these women is essentially like a nuclear bomb in human form. Like this isn't, it is again, like condescending to be like, well, she's actually strong too. And it's like, she's literally the strongest (laughs) superhero in. So it's, it's just fucking stupid. Then meanwhile, the scene where you know captain america gets to hold majolner or is that what he gets Mjolnir. and it's like it's like a huge that's like of universally beloved scene because this is a character that like people right a, a really strong performance a character with like a story that that spans several years and it's a it's a moment consistent with like what we have learned about her as opposed to just like oh, uh, you know, nuclear fist lady has a short haircut now. Like, that's what we, that's what I get. That's what, that's, (laughs) that's what's in the movie to appeal to me. Right. And I I think that like you, it's like we, we know that this was, we knew that this was coming because like the whole tone of film journalism and film criticism became like, um, it, it, it came from people who, clearly have no understanding of why people were going to see this yes. these movies mm-hmm. in the first place so like it was like um and, and people who are just confused about the nature of fiction like they'll, they'll be like well this character in this mo- like you know the villain in this movie a said uh, said a slur you know yeah. and it's like yeah like that okay <laughs> the, right so like it's a bad thing that but but it's there's a slur in the movie and so we can't we're gonna go see the movie we should take it off a street you know whatever they want to do it's yeah. like you have like what the fuck are you talking? Yeah, like he's a bad person. Like in the movie, you know. So I guess we should have known that that type of person would be unable to generate any sort of authenticity or you know any sort of authentic investment uh, in character and story. Anyways, I don't know why we're talking about this. Um, God, I don't know. We 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 have some kind of death wish, I guess. There was a yeah. I was uh, just a uh, an example. I was just thinking of. I went and saw the new Candyman. Uh, yeah. Because it got you know I usually Candyman? go see anything that that is even sort of appealing to me that gets decent reviews i'll go see Mm -hmm. um which maybe i need to stop trusting (sighs) there is this i think i hated that movie and i like (laughs) i like the first the first Candyman. i think is like yeah actually pretty good movie and has some interest and i think it has largely the same themes but yes (laughs) but the movie is not working overtime there is a scene very early in the movie <coughs> where <laughs> the a care a, uh it's a, a room full of black characters and one white person and the black character one like one of them uh explains what gentrification is to a white person and it was sort of like i'm sure there are plenty of white people in this world who don't understand who don't know what gentrification is but there was something i was so insulted by the movie essentially stopping dead in its tracks to just <laughs> tell me what the movie was about that it made me want to throw i don't know rocks at the screen or something <laughs> um and it's too bad because it's like there was like there was plenty of really great stuff to look at there there's some really good um violence scenes mike um but it's just completely and the thing is is like you can make a horror movie smart without making it dumb and i don't think people realize that (laughs) not everybody realized that Uh, essentially jordan peele has seemed to realized and then forgotten that very quickly yeah 
Oh uh, yeah, us was. We'll have to talk about us sometime. I was just very very confused about us. I would like to talk. I wouldn't mind talking about us, but yeah, I can't. If you ever want to be mad, watch Candyman. Yeah, I thought I might pick it up at the library. Um, it did make me want to go back and revisit the 1992 film, though. It's like good. I, I, I actually watched... think it's pretty underrated. I don't know if maybe it's become popular with the. I don't know. It's maybe it's gotten. Pretty, I think it's getting it's reevaluated now. Okay. Yeah. yeah you never. You, for a long time, you never really heard much about it. But partially, I think because the the entire 90s, like the horror of the 90s, yeah. was just totally maligned. Yeah. Um, totally. But what are? I mean, other than I mean, it seems like the most well regarded horror movie of the 90s that I can think of is like not counting like. Uh, uh, I see dead people, whatever, is mm-hmm. like Scream, which is like a meta take on mm-hmm. horror. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I feel like horror was like kind of in the gutter, and then Scream came came along and like re- revitalized the genre for like a minute, and then everybody was just aping Scream, like they were yeah. doing the thing that Scream was doing, but without the understanding of what Scream was doing. Yeah. And then it wasn't yeah. until like the I don't know what two thousand six or seven i'm trying to think maybe like torture porn kind of had a thing for a minute and then it was and then it was found footage and then now it's like kind of more artsy a little bit more thoughtful i think uh yeah i feel like people i think there's something to be said for like we said earlier that like people wes anderson movies are quite successful like both critically and commercially Mm -hmm. they do well generally i think but people aren't imitating him really because they can't. And I yeah. feel the same, like something about like, you know, people trying to make scream, but they suck at it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, Mad Max Fury Road was such like a huge movie and also just like a critic, just like an incredible cinematic experience. Yes. But there hasn't been some proliferation of Mad Max movies because yeah. they fucking can't do it. <laughs> no, nobody, like, no, no, nobody yeah, else right. can do it. I'm probably yeah. same with like Denis hasn't had the same like, you know, box office success yet though. But, you know, I don't know if people, other people can make movies that look the way, you know, he makes movies. So at least we still have those people That's true. out there. That's we true. still got a handful, yeah. Well, it's not like I think it's easy. For, it's easy as easy for us to have this conversation in hindsight, but it's not like it's not like there was a genius standing on every corner of Hollywood in you know 1960 or 1950 or whatever. Very true. Know? Absolutely yeah. not. We just watched, I mean, a movie by basically like a tradesman, you know, yeah. director. It's not like some famous auteur. But, but I just I just mean to say that like it's it's very easy to talk about how good movies used to be when that's the only thing you're watching. You know what I mean? It's like there's so many. I mean, actually, Mike can probably speak to this better (laughs) because he watch. He's seen. He's he lives in the gutter. But I mean, there's so (laughs) many. There's so many movies that are just have just evaporated um, because they're so terrible. Yeah. Anyway, I can attest. All right. (laughs) Thank you for joining us tonight, folks. (laughs) But wait, Mike. What are we gonna watch next week? (laughs) It's a good question. What are we gonna watch next week? Uh. Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Let's do it, baby. I just saw that for the first time this year, but I would be excited to rewatch. Like, I'm so excited. This happens. I haven't seen it in like over a decade. Okay. What did you say, Kim? Well, I haven't seen it in like a decade, and I may be closer to two decades. Wow. There's going to be a lot to discuss. It's it's a very interesting movie. And, and actually, as I watched it earlier this year, it was mostly because it's like I really wanted to watch it, but we hadn't picked it for the podcast yet. So I was like, I just I got to watch it. And afterwards, I was like, I want to talk to Kit and Andrew about this. So cool. cool. 
Yeah. I'm excited. Um, yeah, uh, that'll be a good one. That's also that it will as we're just getting very close to October, that will really help set the mood. It's very perfect. Yes, that's exact. That's what I was thinking is like, that's yeah. what I want to watch at Halloween time. Yeah. You know what I love is that we we talked about the movie and we were wrapped up in just over an hour and then <laughs> completely ruined that by talking for another 30 minutes. So <laughs> if we do cut it from the episode, I kind of I'm I'm a I'm slightly buzzed right now, but I would uh, I would like to re-listen to that conversation. No, I'm I'm going to leave it. It's why great. would we cut it? Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Because um, yeah, I want to see if I we if are I, a movies podcast that no one listens to. That's true. Where if not there, where can we? T- mm-hmm. Yeah, talk She's about right. this. <laughs> are we gonna? Uh, yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, okay. Uh, slow motion triple feature was recorded in Merle Oberon's dressing room. Uh, special thanks to our producer Lee, the man in the booth who makes us sound great. If you'd like to contact us, please do so at slowmotiontriple at gmail.com.